Welcome to Christian Fellowship Ministries. We are glad you joined us. This sermon series challenges us to check ourselves from the inside out. Listen as Pastor Lucas O'Neill explains. This morning I, I have a topic that has been given to me because we're moving through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. It's a long sermon and we probably don't have it manuscripted word for word, it was probably much longer than we see in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, But we're moving through, and he's just kind of dissecting what real discipleship is about. If you're a real follower of Jesus Christ, it's not going to be about religion for you. Um, It'll involve religion. Some of us say, I hate religion, I love Jesus. Well, Jesus loved religion, but he just loved real religion, right? Not the fake stuff, the real stuff. On the outside, the fake Christian and the real Christian kind of look the same because both of them are showing up at church. Both of them, you know, know scripture verses and both of them, you know, smile. Uh, But Jesus wasn't saying be a jerk if you're going to be real. No, you should smile. You should show up at church. You should, you know, be involved in, in kingdom work, but do it for the right reasons. And the only way you can tell if it's right or wrong is inside. And this is why the series, I called it Inside Out. I think if Jesus had a title for a sermon, he would call it something like that. Worship me from the inside out, not outside in like the Pharisees. Uh, then he starts one-offing topics. You know, he, he talked about divorce. He talked about adultery. He talked about anger. He talked about all these different kinds of topics. And then he gets to his favorite topic. Maybe not his favorite to talk about, but uh, some of you have read books by Randy Alcorn. I guess he did the math. Jesus talked about this topic more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. There isn't a topic he talked more about in terms of topical issues, and that's the topic of money. As I thought about it, preparing this message, I thought, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it could be a sticky topic, you know, because money is very divisive, isn't it? Um, money divides churches. I mean, if you, if you were to research church splits, or you maybe know people that come from church splits, there's a lot of different reasons why churches split and fracture, but, man, a, a lot of the reports I hear it has something to do with money. You know, um, one half wanted to use it this way, the other half wanted to use it the other way, or the young group wanted it this, and the old group wanted it that. Sometimes the pastor stole it and ran away with it. I mean, there's all kinds of stories you hear about uh, how money damages the health in a church. But also splits homes, doesn't it? I mean, I wonder if we, were to, if we were to look at some kind of statistic. I don't really like quoting statistics, so I didn't really look it up. But I, I would be curious to see what are the top reasons for divorce besides irreconcilable differences, which is sort of that umbrella that you throw everything into. Um, but what are the real reasons? The finances is, is one of those big reasons. One's a spender, one's a saver. One, one likes to hold it and one likes to give it. Um, they don't see eye to eye. Who's going to be in control of it? Um, issues like that. It splits the homes in different ways. Parents to kids. <laughs> one of the reasons why the story of the prodigal son is such a, a, a provocative but uh, engaging parable from Jesus is because you can immediately relate with the emotional aspect of the story when this punk kid asked his dad for his inheritance that he would get if the dad were to die, the inheritance that he's only allowed to touch if the dad were to die, and basically tells the dad, I can't wait for you to die, just give it to me now. And then the father gives it to him, and he goes and he spends it all. And that's when he hits rock bottom. That story starts with 
finances. Do you remember the story just before that? It's the same story, but just a different episode where Jesus said this woman, this, she had 10 coins and she loses one of them. And she's, he's telling that story and everyone's like, oh, I would look for that coin too. And he's tearing up the house looking for this one coin. Wouldn't you? Yes, I would look for that coin. Money. I mean, money is powerful. This little coin is powerful. If you stack up enough of these, there's not a lot you can't get. The things that you want, the house that you want. You know, well, if you stack up enough of those, if you stack up enough, you can get that car, that piece of land, that vacation home. You can buy your way into things. You'll suddenly double your Facebook friends. You have a lot of people asking you for favors. It brings headaches. But there's not a lot you can't get in this country, in this day and age, if you stack up, if you just stack up enough of these. And what's ironic about this is that on the coin, it says next to George Washington's face, almost like it's coming out of his mouth, in God we trust. Now that's ironic. I'm not saying it shouldn't be there and that it shouldn't be true. That's a good reminder, isn't it? As I give this up, I trust you, God. I mean, that's good. But the reason why it's ironic is because when I read Jesus' teachings, it seems to me like Jesus is saying God's number one competitor is not the gods of Hinduism. God's number one idol that competes with him is not some made-up God by some foreign religion. It's not Islam. It's not some other kind of cult or something like that, version of Christianity. It's this. We worship it. This is an idol. Now, we don't put it somewhere and we don't kneel down to it and, and pray to it. But Jesus said, you serve God or you serve this? One or the other. And it's opposite. Let's look at that passage today. It's in Matthew Chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. It's, it's a familiar passage to some of us, but let's, let's look at what, really what he's saying here uh, and how he calls us to live in a world where money runs everything. Uh, he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Matthew six nineteen and 20. I don't know if I gave the, the GPS coordinates to where we are. But lay, yourselves treasure, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, verse 20, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus does a sort of a, a comparison where he says, um, don't lay up your treasures on earth. Why? He gives a reason. Because moth can, moths can destroy that fur coat because rust can corrode that expensive car. Uh, thieves can break in and steal all that stuff in that nice house. 
Um, those, th that jewelry, piece of jewelry, can be stolen. You can be mugged. It can, you can be robbed. Instead, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where moth can't get to it, rust can't get to it, a thief can't get to it. It's protected. Uh, the difference between these two treasures is not just location. One is earthly and one is heavenly. One is tangible and you can touch it. You know, you can play with it, jingle it, fold it, write it out, cut it to pay something off. You can touch it. You can move it around different accounts. You can do stuff with it. The other one is intangible. We don't even know what it is, right? I mean, let's just, let's just be clear. We don't know what it is. What is this? Is it, I mean, literal crowns? Is it actual money? Is there like a heavenly currency that we're going to use up there? I don't know. Do we have like, I have a bigger house, you have a smaller house? Or you have a bigger house and I have a small house? I mean, how, do, how does this work? Are we buying land in heaven? I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how God is going to give reward. But this we know. We know how many we need. We know how many we need to stack in order to pay off that hole, that debt. We know how many we need to stack in order to get that thing that we want. We, know how, we, we look at things in, in relation to how many stacked quarters it's, it's worth. Time is worth money, you know? Um, what job you're going to choose, how many of these are you going to stack for me, etc. But in heaven, it's a little intangible. We don't know exactly what does that mean, where is that, or what is it. But the difference that Jesus points out is not necessarily how the where works out. What he's pointing out is one of them will last and one of them will not last. You remember the, the parable he told of the rich fool that has stored all his stuff, stored all his stuff, and then God said, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. What are you going to do with all that stuff? But you can't take it with you. But even before death, you can lose it, Right? I mean, it, it, the house was worth something, now it's worth nothing. I mean, you can't control the market. Um, that car was worth something until you totaled it. Uh, that jewelry was worth something until it got stolen from you. Um, well, then you pull out insurance on it. Yeah, but insurance isn't free. You've got to stack these again. So wherever you turn, you're constantly trying to store things, protect them, put them in safe boxes and <laughs> hide them around the house or whatever you do. But the point is, Jesus is saying, that can be stolen, that can be taken, that can be destroyed. That treasure doesn't last. There's a different kind of treasure that does last. And yes, it's invisible. And no, I'm not going to spell it out for you exactly what it is, because I don't want you to seek treasure. I want you to seek me. But the difference between the two is one will last, one won't. Why is it so alluring then? It's alluring because one is here, one is now. I can use this now. I know what it is. I'm in control of it. And it gives me power. Treasure in heaven, I don't really know what that means. It's a little ambiguous. It's a little foggy of an idea, so I'm, I'm not really sure. And that doesn't really put me in control, right? That's, I'm kind of guessing. I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping that I don't really know how much I have stored up. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't go on a spiritual website and check my, my spiritual checking account to see how much I'm pleasing God or how much God is going to reward me. I, we, we can't do that, but this is, this is you, can, you can put this in QuickBooks. You can manage it. You can put it into a file and look at what you have and look at what you're storing and look at what you need. Um, and it kind of puts us in the driver's seat. Heavenly treasure puts Jesus in the driver's seat. Right. But one lasts and one doesn't. And I find it interesting that he says, um, not only does he say that one will last and one won't, 
But uh, he doesn't say, stop storing treasure. Right? Like, he doesn't say, hey, you're a money-grubbing, money-loving, treasure-hunting fool. Stop going after treasures, right? Stop caring about reward. Stop caring about stuff. Interestingly, like, if I were preaching it, that's what I would have said. That's not what Jesus, that's not where Jesus goes. Interesting, he's, he's not saying stop storing. He's just saying where you store your stuff. The kind of treasure that you store. That's the difference. It's almost like we're wired to store. We're wired to want to uh, manage things and have things. I and mean, when God created Adam and Eve, he's like, here's all this stuff and it belongs to you. Manage it. That's part of your worship to me. And so God wants us to have stuff and, and, and do things with it. What happens is, when we start worshiping the stuff, it becomes our God. Versus, I'm going to do stuff for the kingdom's sake. Is God going to reward me? Yes, he tells me. What kind of reward is it? I'm not sure. You know, is it, is it a, a mansion in heaven? Is it a crown with jewels? Or was John just using an illustration and it's not really a crown? I mean, even if it is a real crown, it says we're going to cast them before Jesus anyway, right? Like, <laughs> This piece of metal that I loved when I was on earth, I would have loved this. I would have pawned it off, you know, and bought something really awesome with this crown. This is yours. This is yours. I don't deserve this. So, I mean, even that, <laughs> we're, I mean, it's, it's a completely radically different kind of treasure hunting. But he says he wants you to intentionally store it up. In other words, you have a decision to make. And you go, man, this would really help me and make me feel comfortable now. Or I can do this decision and it's going gonna, it's gonna to give me an investment for the future. It pleases the Lord and in the future I'll have reward. You don't know what the reward is, but you know that's the decision is going to make it for heavenly treasure. And you do the decision based on that. You're intentionally thinking, I don't want to store here, I want to store there. And oftentimes those two decisions come into conflict with each other and you can't do both. You've got to do one or the other. Store there, not here. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to store. You're going to store up stuff. That's how you're wired. That's how you are. That's okay. Store the right stuff up. Store treasures in heaven. Because this stuff doesn't last. It's not going to do anything for you. That stuff will last forever. So then he says this. This is really weird. Just hang with me for a second and we'll try to unpack it. He uses an example, an illustration, right? That's bizarre. (laughs) I mean, I looked up commentaries and stuff, and people are just confused, and it's weird. But here's what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If you're confused, that makes me feel better about myself. Because so am I. I mean, I'm reading this and I'm like, all right, one minute he's talking about don't store up earthly stuff, store up heavenly stuff. Then he's talking about the eyes, the lamp of the body, light and darkness. If, you're at, if your eye is bad, you'll be full of darkness. But if your eye is good, it's a good lamp, the bulb is working, then you're light and you're like, you know what I mean? I don't know if they were listening and like just being nice to him and nodding their heads or what. My first instinct is to say, okay, Jesus just switched topics on us. Now he's talking about maybe, maybe the lamp represents like reading God's word or something. You know, his word is a lamp unto my feet. That's a psalm. They would have known that. And maybe he's talking about now you have to have devotional times or quiet time. He's going on to something else. But then read the next verse, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Oh, now he's talking about slaves and masters. No, listen. You cannot serve God and money. So somehow he's back to the money thing. He's saying money will master you or you'll master it. If, if, God, is, if God is the one that you worship, you'll learn how to master money. But if, but if, but if you love money, <laughs> then that'll be your master. But you, but you can't have two masters. It's one or the other. Reinforcing what he said, you can lay up treasures in heaven because God is your king and the kingdom that you really care about is his kingdom and you're investing in a, an invisible kingdom, a kingdom that is not so much tangible, but you, it's in faith. Or you can invest in your own kingdom, your own estate, your own savings, and money can be your God. In between those two pieces of bread, <laughs> he makes a sandwich by inserting this odd illustration about the eye that's good and the eye that's bad. Right? Now, I, I don't know about you, but some things don't belong in a sandwich. You know, if you, if you take two pieces of bread, there's some stuff that belongs in there. A hamburger with cheese on it, peanut butter and jelly. There's stuff that, ham and cheese, there's stuff that belongs in between two pieces of bread. There's some stuff in your pantry that does not belong in between two pieces of bread, right? That's a bad sandwich. Now, if Jesus is a master storyteller, a master uh, preacher, and he's the son of God, I don't think he makes bad sandwiches, okay? He's talking about money, throws in a weird illustration, and then he talks about money again. That thing in the middle, it might be weird, it might be hard to understand, but it's got something to do with money, doesn't it? It's got something to do with money. I think the only way to understand this passage is to understand that he's talking about our worship of money. So someone with a bad eye is someone who looks at money and doesn't see past the money, doesn't really think of who it's from, doesn't really think of who it could be for. It just thinks of what it can do for me. That's a bad eye. The way you view money uh, determines what your eye is like. You've got bad eyes if money is your, your go-to thing. You pursue it, you think of it, Issues about money keep you up at night. This is what you argue about with your spouse. This is what you argue about with your kids. This is what you think about all day and night. You constantly think of how much more you can make of it. Can you cut corners here? Now, let me tell you, spenders and super savers wrestle with the same thing. They wrestle with the same thing. Spenders don't care about what jingles. They just care about what it can get them, and so they spend it. Savers care about what jingles, and they don't want to lose it, so they save it. Both people can worship money. And your eye is bad if you view this as your end all, you know, as, as, your, as your goal. The eye that's good sees money as what it can do for the kingdom. Not, not my kingdom, but his kingdom. Your will be done, not mine. Your will be done in, on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Right? Didn't he just teach us to pray like that? A person praying like that is going to have a good eye towards money. Because he's seeing it as an avenue, as a tool to do something for the kingdom versus someone else. They see it as an avenue to do something for my kingdom. And so therefore they worship money. But a person like that can't worship God. And his illustration tells us why. Because we're corrupted from the outside in. I mean, Jesus, this whole time, he's telling us, live, live from the inside out, right? We're always outside in, outside in. 
He's saying a lot of times what you are inside is because of what you allow on the outside to change you. Do you remember what he said right in the beginning? I mean, he, he, says, he, puts, he puts it in a way that, um, again, makes me feel like I, I, would, I would put it a little bit differently uh, than he put it here. But listen to how he says it, and then I'll tell you how I thought it would have gone logically. In the beginning, in verse 19, don't lay yourselves treasures on earth, verse 20, but lay them up in heaven, verse 21. Here's why. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that backwards? Wouldn't you think where your heart is, that's the kind of treasure you're going to go after. If, you, if your heart is set on money, that's the kind of thing you're going to go after. That's where your treasure is. If your heart is set on God, then that's where your treasure will be. But Jesus says it the reverse. If you're constantly pursuing money, that's where your heart is going to go. If you're constantly about God, about what Jesus is, who he is, what you can do for him, how his kingdom can advance, and that's what you're about, your heart will follow that path. It's almost like the heart is a couple steps behind. And what you do on the outside is going to determine what's going on on the inside. And just in case we're confused on that point, he puts in this weird illustration about the eye and the body and tells us exactly that. If your eye is bad... If your eye is bad, you're viewing money in a bad way. You're view, you're store, you want to store up treasures on earth, and you see how it can uh, advance you, advance your kingdom, how, how it can um, connect you with other people, maybe get a little bit more money. Uh, maybe it starts innocent. You know? Maybe it's like, well, it's just a better job, and I can give more to the church, and, and, I can, I, and we'd be more financially stable. And my kids won't have to suffer through the same things that I had to suffer through if, if we just had a little bit more. And, and it starts off innocent. But somehow it's still the worship the money model. You didn't intentionally want to worship money, but your life is geared this way. You put in extra long hours at work. You pick up the extra time, even if it means cutting off a couple of relationships. You, you pick up that promotion, even though it means it's robbing your Sundays. I mean, you, you, you push and you move towards these things. And what started off as maybe something kind of feeling innocent, you went along this route of God, uh, money worshiping, and in return... That bad eye corrupts the whole body. I mean, isn't that, isn't that what he says? The, the bad eye doesn't work, and so it's not a lamp. It, it started flickering, the bulb went out, never got replaced, and now all that's inside of you is darkness. And he said, how great is that darkness? How great is that darkness? When Jesus uses great darkness as, a, as an illustration, I mean, he talks about hell, weeping and gnashing of teeth, where, um, where the... the the wheat and the tares, when they finally get separated, and the, those who don't make it, the goats who don't make it into heaven, where they get cast, they get cast into outer darkness. So th- this isn't a light issue like, oh, you spend like this, oh, you're a little bit more of a spender, you know, that's a little naughty. He's talking about like if you're a real believer, if you really follow me, you cannot worship money. You cannot worship money and be a Christian. It's not possible. It's not an option. You're not a lower tier Christian. You're not like an okay Christian. You're not a Christian that's wounded and kind of limping along, but you just have this money hang up. You're not a Christian, he's saying. He's saying if you view money like that, you're corrupted on the inside. If how you do things on the outside shows that money is your God, it's an x-ray photo of what's happening inside. And maybe it didn't start that way, but eventually you set up your life to be one that's, that's after stuff, things. And eventually the effect was that it corroded you internally. 
But he says, if your eye is good and you view money the right way, you can't ignore money. You can't just, I'm not going to have any money. I mean, you have to have stuff. There's things that you have. But if you go after it with an eye that's good, you're storing up treasures in heaven. You're asking, how can I use this to advance the kingdom? How can I give it if I can give it? How can I use it to, to put other people first? How can I use it to advance the church, advance God's kingdom? Then you're full of light. Right? You're full of Jesus. Jesus is the light. In other words, you're a believer. <laughs> you're a true follower of me, Jesus is saying. You, you've got it. Some of you know that um, a, a few weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, um, I was playing basketball. And uh, I, I was playing basketball pretty much every week at Living Hope Church. I got a few guys that hang out, you know, play ball. And um, the attendance started to drop, and I kind of got reinfected with the, with the uh, basketball bug. Man, It's been a long time, but I, I used to enjoy playing basketball, you know. So uh, one day, Pastor Jay over at Living Hope, he said, um, there's not a lot of guys here. Why don't we go to the Itasca Park District and, and check it out, see if there's guys. We showed up. There's all kinds of people playing. I'm like, you know, this is cool. It's like a lunch hour. Everyone's there, you know, for an hour and a half or so and, and, and just play some basketball, like on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. And then I started thinking, man, this is really cool. I'm meeting a bunch of non-Christians, you know, and maybe I can get to witness and talk to them and, and everything. So I started talking to some of them. I went one day. It was great. I went the second week. Fifteen minutes into play, so one guy turns around, and his shoulder bone completely crushes my face. I mean, it just bam. I just saw blackness, and I, I leaned over. And um, it was one of those shots where you think, okay, let me you know, shake this off for a couple seconds, but two seconds goes by, five seconds goes by, 30 seconds goes by. I can't even open my eyes, you know? And, um, and you know, the, the pain is setting in, and the guys come over and say, hey, you okay, man? Are you bleeding? And, and I, I was about to open my eyes and say, no, I'm not bleeding. And as soon as I open my eyes, the faucet's turned on. I mean, just blood everywhere, my shoes, my socks, my, my, the floor, you know? And um, so I, I, I cover my nose, and I go to my bench. I have my towel, and I grab it. And I run into the, to the restroom, and um, I just start washing out all the blood, you know, from my face. And it's just going down the sink, and it's everywhere. It's, it's on the mirror. It's on the, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, and I started, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me. I started cleaning it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is gross. <laughs> I started cleaning it. And then, I, and then it dawned on me, like, look in the mirror. And so I looked up, and my nose was over here. I mean, it was nasty. It looked like, it looked like a, a Twilight Zone episode. Like somebody did makeup and put like a fake, you know, a fake thing here and make it look like it's all the way over here. So uh, in my fear, you know, in my like jolt, I said, it shouldn't look like that. You know, out of just instinct, I just put it back, you know, pushed it back. And uh, then the guys came in. They gave me some ice packs. I had to sign something that probably so I wouldn't sue them or something. I don't know. <laughs> Um, are you okay driving home? You know, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. I mean, up until this point, I'm, I, I'm embarrassed to say, I'm still wondering if I'm still going to get back and finish this game. I kid you not, man, I love basketball, right? And I, I think the adrenaline is pumping. And I'm like, eh, whatever, put it back and let's play. And then the lady, she's like making me sign stuff. She's like, she saw the look in my eyes. She goes, you're not going back out there, are you? <laughs> I was like, um, No. Good. Are you safe to drive home? Like, of course I'm safe to drive home. I'm not seeing dizzy or seeing double. There's no stars or anything like that. Um, on the way home, though, I was a little groggy. And I thought, man, this, yeah, I, sh I should go home and just keep icing this. 
And I got home, and, and Tina gets home, and she's like, what happened? And I told her what happened. She said, well, let's go to the hospital. I said, well, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's broken. That's what I told her. I don't think it's broken. She's like, well, how do you know if it's broken? You know, you can't, you can't see in there. All right, whatever, let's go. It's just going to take out of my day, my time. It's, oh, this is ridiculous. So we go there, and they check it. They x-ray it front, this side, that side. The x-ray comes back. It's fractured. Uh, so that's three weeks ago. It's still fractured now. Healing. Um, and from some of the feedback from some of you, I, I do good work. Uh, I don't know. I went and saw specialists. Everything's straight. Everything's fine. The only way to know that it was broken, that it was fractured, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go in there, and they didn't just ask me, now, how hard did he hit you? On a scale of 1 to 10, how painful is it? I mean, they did ask those questions. But they were asking those questions not to diagnose me. They weren't, they weren't asking those questions to tell if it was fractured or not. Right. They used an x-ray. An x-ray is this, this machine. I mean, you know what it is. You, you put this lead vest thing on so that your organs don't die. <laughs> you know? And then they, they take these x-ray photos of your face or whatever part it is that they're trying to look into. You need that to be able to determine what kind of break it is, can they fix it, can they straighten it, etc. Now what Jesus is saying is what's important, what he's been saying throughout this entire sermon, is what is important is what's going on inside your heart, what's not first. When you get to, when you get to heaven, he's not going to be like, how many verses did you memorize? How many church services did you go to? How did, how did you dress on Sunday? You know, how, many, how many hands did you shake? All things that we care about here at Christian Fellowship Church, but that's not the core foundation of what gets you into a relationship with God. It's what's inside your heart. On the outside, someone can look so Christian, so faithful, but then, but then somehow they're not, they're, they don't make it in at the end. I mean, Jesus teaches this over and over. Jesus teaches there's certain ways where you can, you can apply x-ray vision to see what's going on inside your own heart. One of those ways... It's how you handle this. How you view this, how you handle this, will determine what's going on on the inside of your heart. How you handle this will determine where your heart goes. If this is what you serve, this is what you're after, this is what you're passionate about, this is what you pursue. You don't want to show up at a Bible study, but if somebody said, I have financial secrets to empowering your life to be successful, and you go to it. You don't really read the Bible that much, but you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You can, you can do an exterior checkup on your life and say, am I worshiping something else besides him? Is this, is this what has my attention, my love? No, Paul didn't tell us, you know, money is the root of all evil. What did he say? The love of money is the root of all evil. Everybody has to have something in their pocket to make things work in this life. Do you love it? You take an assessment of your life. That's your x-ray photo. Don't need a guess. I wonder if I really love the Lord or not. This is one of those practical ways where you can say, man, do I love the Lord? Do, do I love him? Is he everything to me? Is he everything to me? Jesus did the x-ray test on a would-be disciple a rich ruler, young guy, who approached him 
He said, Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? So Jesus kind of plays the game a little bit, because obviously Jesus doesn't believe in works, uh, works salvation. He says, well, you, you need to obey the commandments. You know, obey, you need to honor your mother and father. You need to love your neighbors, yourself. I mean, the commandments, you need to obey them. I do all of those. What else do I need to do? He said, there's one thing missing. If you take all your possessions, sell them, and all the proceeds that you get, you give it to the poor, and then come follow me, then you know you're a real disciple. And the rich young ruler walked away with his head down because he owned many things. What was Jesus doing? Does selling possessions get you a ticket to go to heaven? No. He's exposing why this person doesn't have a ticket to heaven. Because he can't follow Jesus. Why can't he follow Jesus? Because he's following something else. And you cannot serve God and money at the same time. When one goes one direction and the other goes the other direction, you have to make a choice. And sometimes that choice is uh, sacrificial giving. Sometimes that choice is... Uh, Cutting things so you can get out of debt. Debt is another way that, you know, we just accrue debt. It's another sign that possibly we're worshiping this stuff. And Jesus is saying, you can't, you can't serve me. You can't follow me, be a disciple of me, and, and serve money at the same time. It's not possible. And so as soon as Jesus told that story about the, or as soon as that happened with the rich young ruler, the disciples, okay, they're fishermen, and not only were they fishermen, they gave up this stuff to follow Jesus, right? And they came up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, if he's not going to heaven and people aren't, can't follow you because they can't give up their stuff, what hope is there for any of us? Now that's interesting, right? Because you and I, it would be easy for us to sit here and be like, Donald Trump has a problem. You know, uh, maybe that next door neighbor that, you know, has a huge house that puts your little house in a shadow that person has a problem. My uncle that I only see on reunions, regrettably, um, you know, he's got a problem. I hate it when he walks in with his rings and his, you know, talks about how much he's making and stuff. And he's got a problem. And it would have been easy for the disciples to be like, <laughs> that punk, he's got all that stuff. He's got a problem. But this is a moment of brilliance for the disciples because they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have that problem too, don't we? Wait a minute. This is impossible. That's the verse where Jesus says, it is impossible for you. But with God, nothing's impossible. What Jesus is saying is, you're always going to worship things. You're always going to want to worship yourself. But if you allow God to do a work in your life, he'll change that. He'll change it, put him in the driver's seat, and then all this stuff won't control you. Possessions won't possess you. You'll possess them. And when opportunities come up to give, to bless, you do it. Without, without the blink of an eye, you know, without, without going, oh, I'm not sure because, well, they don't really deserve it. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? You give it. You think about ways to advance the church. You think about ways to advance the kingdom, you know. You think about uh, people that need stuff, your poor next-door neighbor or whatever it is, people that are in need. It doesn't always have to be through the church, but when you see situations, you can help somebody out. Can you sacrifice now, this rich young ruler, and I'll close with this. This rich young ruler was rich by his day's standards, right? 
I mean, he, had, he probably had cattle. He probably had servants. He probably had a, a big old house. We are many more times richer, every single one of us in this room, than he was. I mean, <laughs> my family van has like 200 horsepower. I don't care how many horses this guy had. He can't get around like I can and haul my family with me. I mean, think about it. The president of the United States can't eat a better meal than you can get in Chicago. If you're just willing to stack a few of these, or more than a few, you can get, you can get better quality meals than they serve in the White House. You eat better than kings. So we, we can't look at the rich young ruler like, <laughs> he walked away. A lot of us might walk away just because of stuff. I mean, the internet, the iPhone, the iPad, we've got all this stuff, your music library, your photos, your whole life on Facebook in a timeline, your whole scrapbook stuff all in one little internet thing and you put it in your pocket and you pull it out at a moment's notice. I mean, we are filthy rich. We've got technology, we've got food, we've got shelter. And so we're rich. We're rich. We're filthy rich. We've got more stuff than we know what to do with, even if we think we're financially struggling. We're only struggling because we're not at the tier that we wish we were at. <laughs> you know, compare ourselves to third world country folks, and it's like you, you cannot complain. It's, you can't complain. Money is an issue. And when we have a lot of it, and we're affluent, and we live in an affluent society, that's when it's most dangerous. And Jesus is saying, you have to learn how to use it for my glory rather than be used by it for your own glory. Don't worship it. Worship me. This has been a presentation of Christian Fellowship Church of Itasca, Illinois.